0: Chapter Eleven of Life in the Grey Nunnery at Montreal. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Life in the Grey Nunnery at Montreal by Sarah J. Richardson. Chapter Eleven The Joy of Freedom. At length the long-sought opportunity arrived, and with the most ecstatic joy we fled from the nunnery. The girl I have before mentioned, who wished to go with me, and another nun, with whom I had no acquaintance, were left in the kitchen to assist me in taking charge of the cooking, while the rest of the people were at mass in the chapel. A chance presented for us to get away and we all fled together leaving the cooking to take care of itself we were assisted to get out of the yard but how or by whom i can never reveal death in its most terrible form would be the punishment for such an act of kindness and knowing this it would be the basest ingratitude for me to name the individual who so kindly assisted us in our perilous undertaking. How well do I remember the emotions that thrilled my soul when I found myself safely outside the walls of that fearful prison? The joy of freedom, the hope of ultimate success, the fear of being overtaken and dragged back to misery or death, were considerations sufficiently exciting to agitate our spirits and lend fleetness to our steps. With trembling limbs and throbbing hearts we fled towards the St. Lawrence River. Following the tow-path we hastened on for a few miles, when one of the nuns became exhausted and said she could go no further. She was very weak when we started, and the excitement and fatigue produced serious illness. What should we do with her? We could not take her along with us, and if we stopped with her, we might all be taken and carried back. Must we leave her by the wayside? It was a fearful alternative, but what else could we do? With sad hearts, we took her to a shed nearby, and there we left her to her fate, whatever it might be chance to die there alone or what was still worse be carried back to the convent it was indeed a sorrowful parting and we wept bitter tears together as we bade her a last farewell i never saw or heard from her again we pursued our way along the tow-path for a short distance when the canal boat came along We asked permission to go upon the boat, and the captain kindly granted it, but desired us to be very still. He carried us twelve miles, and then proposed to leave us, as he exposed himself to a heavy fine by carrying us without a pass, and unattended by a priest or superior. We begged him to take us as far as he went with the boat, and frankly told him our situation. Having no money to offer, we could only cast ourselves upon his mercy and implore his pity and assistance. He consented to take us as far as the village of Beauharnois, and there he left us. He did not dare take us further, lest someone might be watching for us and find us on his boat." It was five o'clock in the morning when we left the boat, but it was a Roman Catholic village, and we did not dare to stop. All that day we pursued our way without food or drink, and at night we were tired and hungry. Arriving at a small village, we ventured to stop at the most respectable-looking house, and asked the woman if she could keep us overnight. She looked at us very attentively, and said she could not. We did not dare to call again, for we knew that we were surrounded by those who would think they were doing a good work to deliver us up to the priests. Darkness came over the earth, but still weary and sleepy as we were, we pursued our lonely way. I will not repeat our bitter reflections upon a cold-hearted world, but the reader will readily imagine what they were. Late in the evening we came to an old barn, I think it must have been four or five miles from the village. There was no house or other building near it, and as no person was in sight, we ventured to enter. Here to our great joy we found a quantity of clean straw, with which we soon prepared a comfortable bed where we could enjoy the luxury of repose. We slept quietly through the night, and at the early dawn awoke, refreshed and encouraged. But oh, so hungry! Gladly we would have eaten anything in the shape of food, but nothing could we find. The morning star was yet shining brightly above us as we again started on our journey. At length our hearts were cheered by the sight of a village. The first house we came to stood at some distance from the other buildings, and we saw two women in a yard milking cows. We called at the door and asked the lady for some milk. "'Oh, yes,' said she with a sweet smile, "'come in and rest a while, and you shall have all you want.' She thought we were sisters of charity." for they often go about visiting the sick and praying with the people. It is considered a very meritorious act to render them assistance and speed them on their way, but to help a runaway nun is to commit a crime of sufficient magnitude to draw down the anathema of the church. Therefore, while we carefully concealed our real character, We gratefully accepted the aid we so much needed, but which, we were sure, would have been withheld had she known to whom it was offered. After waiting till the cows were milked, and she had finished her own breakfast, she filled a large earthen pan with bread and milk, gave each of us a spoon, and we ate as much as we wished. As we arose to depart. She gave each of us a large piece of bread to carry with us, and asked us to pray with her. We accordingly knelt in prayer, implored heaven's blessing on her household, and then took our leave of this kind lady, never more to meet her on earth, but she will never be forgotten. That day we travelled a long distance, at least so it seemed to us. When nearly overcome with fatigue we saw from the tow-path an island in the river and upon it a small house near the shore a man stood beside a canoe we made signs to him to come to us and he immediately sprang into his canoe and came over we asked him to take us to the island and he cheerfully granted our request but he said We must sit very still, or we would find ourselves in the water. I did not wonder he thought so, for the canoe was very small, and the weight of three persons sank it almost even with the surface of the river, while the least motion would cause it to roll from side to side, so that we really felt that we were in danger of a very uncomfortable bath, if nothing worse. We landed safely, however, and were kindly welcomed by the Indian family in the house. Six squalls were sitting on the floor, some of them smoking, others making shoes and baskets. They were very gaily dressed, their skirts handsomely embroidered with beads and silk of various colors. One of the girls seemed very intelligent, and conversed fluently in the English language, which she spoke correctly. But she did not look at all like an Indian, having red hair and a lighter skin than the others. She was the only one in the family that I could converse with, as the rest of them spoke only their native dialect, but the nun who was with me could speak both French and Indian. They treated us with great kindness, gave us food and invited in to stay and live with them, said we could be very happy there, and to induce us to remain, they informed us that the village we saw on the other side of the river, called St. Regis, was inhabited by Indians, but they were all Roman Catholics. They had a priest and a church where we could go to Mass every Sabbath. Little did they imagine that we were fleeing for life, from the Romish priests, that so far from being an inducement to remain with them, this information was the very thing to send us on our way with all possible speed. We did not dare to stay, for I knew full well that if any one who had seen us went to confession, they would be obliged to give information of our movements, and if one priest heard of us, HE WOULD IMMEDIATELY TELEGRAPH TO ALL THE PRIESTS IN THE UNITED STATES AND CANADA, AND WE SHOULD BE WATCHED ON EVERY SIDE. ESCAPE WOULD THEN BE NEARLY IMPOSSIBLE. THEREFORE WE GENTLY BUT FIRMLY REFUSED TO ACCEPT THE HOSPITALITY OF THESE GOOD PEOPLE, AND HASTENED TO BID THEM FAREWELL. I ASKED THE GIRL HOW FAR IT WAS TO THE UNITED STATES, She said it was two miles to Hogansburg, and that was in the States. We then asked the man to take us in his canoe to the village of St. Regis on the other side of the river. He consented, but I thought with some reluctance, and before he allowed us to land, he conversed some minutes with the Indians who met him on the shore. We could not hear what they said, but my fears were at once awakened. I thought they suspected us, and if so we were lost. But the man came back at length, and assisted us from the boat. If he had any suspicions, he kept them to himself. Soon after we reached the shore I met a man, of whom I inquired when a boat would start for Hogansburg. He gazed at us a moment and then pointed to five boats out in the river, and said those were the last to go that day. They were then ready to start, and waited only for the tow-boat to take them along. But they were so far away we could not get to them, even if we dared risk ourselves among so many passengers. What could we do? To stay there overnight was not to be thought of For a moment, we were sure to be taken and carried back, if we ventured to try it. Yet there was but one alternative, either remain there till the next day, or try to get a passage on the tow-boat. It did not take me a long time to decide for myself, and I told the nun that I should go on if the captain would take me. What? What? "'Go on the tow-boat!' she exclaimed. "'There are no ladies on that boat, and I do not like to go with so many men.' "'I am not afraid of the men,' I replied, "'if they are not Romanists, and I am resolved to go.' "'Do not leave me,' she cried, with streaming tears. "'I am sure we can get along better if we keep together, "'but I dare not go on the boat.' "'And I dare not stay here,' said I. "'And so we parted. "'I to pursue my solitary way, "'she to go, I know not whither. "'I gave her the parting hand, "'and have never heard from her since, "'but I hope she succeeded better than I did "'in her efforts to escape. "'I went directly to the captain of the boat "'and asked him if he could carry me to the States.' He said he should go as far as Ogdensburg, and would carry me there if I wished, or he could set me off at some place where he stopped for wood and water. When I told him I had no money to pay him, he smiled, and asked if I was a runaway. I frankly confessed that I was, for I thought it was better for me to tell the truth than to try to deceive well said the captain i will not betray you but you had better go to my state-room and stay there i thanked him but said i would rather stay where i was he then gave me the key to his room and advised me to go in and lock the door for said he we are not accustomed to have ladies on this boat and the men may annoy you you will find it more pleasant and comfortable to stay there alone. Truly grateful for his kindness, and happy to escape from the gaze of the men, I followed his direction, nor did I leave the room again until I left the boat. The captain brought me my meals, but did not attempt to enter the room. There was a small window with a spring on the inside. He would come and tap on the window, and ask me to raise it, where he would hand me a waiter, on which he had placed a variety of refreshments, and immediately retire. End of section 11